Alchemy Radio, where the only thing we ask of you is that you keep an open mind. Today's guests are Immortal Technique and Mark Devlin. Mark is up first. He's a UK-based club and radio DJ and music journalist, specialising in R&B, hip-hop, reggae, soul, funk, disco, soulful house and black music pretty much in any other form. Since 1990, he's been producing and presenting radio shows, DJing in clubs all over the world, producing mixtapes and CDs, and contributing to market-leading music magazines. He's got so much more in the bag as well, as we're about to find out. Mark, you're very welcome to Alchemy Radio. How are you? I'm good, John. Good to be with you today. Well, the pleasure is all mine, and you have a very interesting background story. Before you came into, I suppose, the whole realm of consciousness and authenticity, tell us a little bit about where you've come from and how you've got to where you are. Okay, well, I've been a DJ for 23 years now, got started in 1990, always wanted to be. I was always into music from a very early age, bought my first record when I was five, which was uh, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. A lot of people have really embarrassing first records, so that one was quite cool. I won't tell you the first album. Go right, on, tell, the, tell us the first, the first al- album. The first album was the Grease soundtrack, so it's not quite so cool. But <laughs> Hairbrushes grew- at the ready. Yeah, I grew up being into pop music basically whatever was in the charts and uh, took a healthy interest in that through my teenage years and as I got a bit older my tastes got refined and I got into basically black music soul, hip-hop, R&B, funk, early house music, garage, all that sort of thing and I decided I really wanted to become a DJ so uh, after a bit of hustling and a few power moves, (laughs) early power moves I got there in 1990, started working for a local radio station in Oxford called Fox FM doing background production, all that sort of thing and eventually that led to club gigs and you know, it's humble beginnings as it is for all of us and things gradually grew and... uh, got a lot of contacts and networks in place and over the years i've been fortunate enough to dj all over the place up and down the uk uh over 40 different countries around the world uh you know i've had a good in- good innings had a good few years lots of memories lots of great times along the way um and i've done radio clubs and music journalism in that time things reached the point by about 2008 where i was starting to ask some questions about not only what was going on in the music business and with particular reference to the sort of music that I was playing, which was mainly hip-hop and and R&B, so-called, but also what was happening in the wider world and how the music agenda fed into the much wider picture of what was going on uh, globally, uh, what life is all about, who's really running the show, who's really pulling the strings, uh, what their motives might be. And that's where we get into these very deep, complex areas uh, full of big questions about the purpose of life and reality and consciousness and all that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, the, the transformation had started to take place around about 2008, and it was kind of completed by about 2010, which is the year that I pinpoint as receiving what I refer to as my conscious awakening. Okay. And was there a specific incident, Mark, or what was it that actually happened for you that transported you from one side of the fence to the other? 
Well, it wasn't a, a singular incident that I could put my finger on. It was a gradual process, and it was the culmination of, of lots of different things. It was basically as a result of doing lots of reading and doing lots of research uh, and reading many different authors, not least David Icke. David Icke's books were uh, very influential for me. And in 2010... Uh, it's interesting how synchronicity works because I was due to make a trip to the United States in April 2010. Mm -hmm. And two days before I was due to fly out, this was to New York, you might remember there was a volcano in Iceland which erupted. And uh, don't ask me the name of the volcano. (laughs) I was in Iceland last week, actually. I got to see it. But um, this volcano grounded all flights in that particular part of the world and it meant that nobody could fly to and from the United States for several days Mm -hmm. so my flight was put on hold and the airline said well you could take the flight at a later date so I chose to go to New York in September 2010 and because I had a few days of downtime there and I had some time on the flight to read had some time in airport lounges time in hotels I absorbed David Icke's book Human Race Get Off Your Knees in one go in one sitting And it was very much that book and the information that was contained in it that changed my whole view of everything. Uh, Having said that, I would never put all my faith and all my uh, intuition in the works of just one author. But what I found was the stuff that Ike was talking about in that book correlated with what so many other authors from so many other different parts of the world, from so many different walks of life, were saying about what was going on in the world, nature of reality, all of that. And for me, it just all clicked. It all fell into place. And there was just clarity in my mind as to what was going on, you know, the big picture. So I'm grateful for the opportunity on that trip to have had the time to just push all the daily stuff to one side and and just take some time out to reflect on important things, which we don't get enough time to do because we're all busy and, um, you know, I just feel that synchronistically everything fell into place at that point in 2010. And I've not looked at the world the same way since. You know, the whole way I think about life and uh, my purpose here and what I'm doing and what any of us are doing and what's going on behind the scenes has not been the same since 2010. And I've got absolutely no regrets about that because (laughs) it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. And I'd imagine since then, because you became consciously aware of yourself to a greater degree, or it certainly sounds like that, it was quite a difficult process at first when you decided to openly embrace this. It was. uh, I'd had a bit of grounding, uh, a bit grounded from my dad, actually. He's always been a very open-minded thinker. And he's always kind of encouraged me to not be afraid to think outside the box and not be afraid to be different and stand out from the crowd. And I've kind of done that through through life anyway. I've never really gone along with fashions and trends. I've never been that worried about fitting in with particular crowds. But my dad was reading books by the likes of Eric von Daniken back in the 1960s. And he was getting ribbed for it at work because he worked at British Leyland, you know, assembling car parts. Yep. And all the other guys there were just, you know, reading the sun and all the rest of it. And they, they were sort of taking the piss out of him for, for being into all this deep stuff. So all along, my dad's kind of encouraged me to, to read and open your mind and ask questions. So I'd had a bit of that beforehand. But, uh, yeah, to start with, it was quite a difficult process because I was a little afraid about speaking out and telling people about the stuff that I'd discovered and stuff that I'd come to realize and understand there was an element of still being worried about what other people might think, which holds so many of us back in yeah. so many walks of life. Uh, but 
gradually I got used to the idea of speaking out about things that I'd come to understand, speaking my truth, uh, saying things that I felt needed to be said. Once you start, once you've broken the ice, it gets easier. You've just got to take that first bold move of saying, okay, I don't really care what people make of what I'm going to say and what I feel I need to do. Because when you think about it, if you live your life according to what other people might think of you, you're not living your life for yourself. You're living it according to their standards mm -hmm. and their dictates. And what do you get back from them in exchange for doing that? Oh, yeah, that'll be nothing. So why would you? And so uh, I started in the process of just, just posting things up on Facebook and speaking publicly about certain things that I was concerned about in the world. And... Um, one or two people made a couple of negative comments about, oh, you've lost it, mate, you know, you're a nutter, what are you talking about? Yeah. But uh, I've truly got to the stage now, I got there quite a while ago, where I don't really give a tinker's cuss what people think about stuff that I say and do, because I feel it's right to do it. I'm absolutely 100% convinced of the validity of the stuff that I talk about, otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. And people can make of it what they will. Uh -huh. uh, and it's so liberating when you can reach that point of just not caring what other people think, it just doesn't matter. It You've has got to, to be do... enormously empowering, Mark. It really is. It's the most liberating, empowering thing that you can do. Just speak your truth and people can make of it what they will. And what you actually find is that a surprising number of people then come back to you and say, well, actually, yeah, I've often wondered about this. It's interesting that you're talking about this or that sheds some light on this particular subject that I never really understood. You know, thank you for speaking out. Thank you for saying what you've said because now I can understand this a lot better. And, you know, the positive feedback by far outweighs uh, all the negative feedback and the, the ribbing and the piss-taking. Uh, and, and so it's definitely the right thing to do. And it's very interesting you say that because I suppose it uh, gives us a slight insight into the complex thing that is the human psyche because I can relate to a huge amount of what you've just spoken about there and I've noticed that in my peer group and uh, people around me, once I started to speak out a little bit about bits and pieces, it was almost like it was the, uh, the, the spark to light the flame in a lot of other people and they felt, oh, well, it is okay to talk about this and all of a sudden... There was a snowball effect and to the point where a huge number of my friends and acquaintances who in the past number of years would have literally, like your mates or whatever, said, oh, well, Mark, you've lost it. Oh, John, you've lost it. They're now, I, I can have engaging and open conversations about the kind of stuff that is not out there in the mainstream. And to the point where I actually think that there, there will be a tipping point and this kind, mm. of, this kind of information that you're about to talk about will really and truly become the mainstream. And that's going to be a great, great day. You're absolutely right. I think that tipping point is very close. And I agree that it's going to happen. And it's incredible to me, the amount of people who in the early days were, uh, you know, taking the mickey and, and uh, just, just ribbing me for stuff that I was saying, have since come round to a lot of it. And are starting to ask questions. And they're even starting to post things themselves. I see their Facebook page. Mm. And they're posting stuff that they wouldn't have posted six months ago for fear of being called a conspiracy nut or whatever. Uh, so it's definitely happening. And I think as, as the stuff unfolds in the mainstream news, day by day, week by week, many, many more people are starting to realize that something is not quite right and that we're being lied to the whole time and that the official version of everything just doesn't stack up the way uh, governments and mainstream media tell you it does. 
And so that's causing people to think, well, maybe there is an alternative way of, of looking at why certain things happen, and maybe these guys have got it right. And, you know, we're all labelled as conspiracy nuts. I've been called that many times, conspiracy theorists, yep. which is a very lazy uh, term to use, a catch-all kind of term just to dismiss somebody that thinks in an alternative kind of way. You just call them a conspiracy theorist and send them on their way. Yeah. S- same as anti-Semite and all these other convenient catch-all phrases. But uh, to me, uh, conspiracy theories are all- almost becoming the norm now. And uh, what I find far more entertaining than conspiracy theories are coincidence theories. Because there are so many people that so desperately want to cling on to their belief that everything is actually okay in the world and really everything is as we're told by mainstream media and governments and educational authorities and they'll uh, dismiss away all kinds of blatant evidence as just one of those things, just the way it is, just a coincidence. And (laughs) their arguments are getting more and more desperate because it's clear for anyone with a brain to think and two eyes to see that uh, coincidences just don't exist. They're not coincidences. They're things that have been made to happen or they're synchronicities, but they're not just coincidences. Mm -hmm. And um, this idea of just clinging to the official version of everything and making out in your mind that everything is okay in the world is classic cognitive dissonance is, is the phrase for it, where blatant evidence that can be seen and felt and touched is at odds with the view of the world that you so desperately want to believe. And so your mind, your psyche blocks out the evidence so you can continue with your belief system. And uh, it's getting more and more difficult for people to uh, maintain that, I feel. And that's why more and more people are looking for alternative answers and are now open to some of these conspiracy theories, so-called, which maybe six months ago, a year ago, they would have rejected. Absolutely. And to be honest, as somebody who has been involved in the music industry for quite some time, as you have, it's amazing to watch how little bits of information are filtered into the public consciousness, or even the subconscious, I suppose, is what is really happening through symbolism and through music videos and pretty much everything we're going to talk about um, for the the rest of our chat. But people do build up a paradigm for themselves, be it known or unbeknownst to themselves, and it can be quite difficult for somebody to break out of that and to, to shatter that. But I have no doubt in my mind that at the moment there is a kind of, and I hesitate to use the word awakening because... It's, it's become almost, uh, I don't know, it, it's, been, it's blasphemous in some circles to say awakening. But the journey that people are going on has accelerated and is continuing to accelerate. And I think people are really raising their consciousness and their vibration. And they're actually able to look beyond some of the sub- subconscious programming that is coming from the control system. And I think no more so than in music when people switch on MTV now and so much of it is so blatant. Um, or we, we see it as being so blatant now, I don't mm. think it's necessarily that a lot of it is. I think it's that so many people are just more open to actually seeing the signs now. Yeah, indeed. Uh, it is getting absolutely blatant. And for people like ourselves, uh, not to try and put ourselves on any pedestal or claim that we're better than anyone else, it's, it's not about that. It's just the fact that we've been able to uh, raise our consciousness and we're now viewing what's going on in the world, what's going on in life from a different, higher perspective than we did before. And we all get there at different stages. And uh, we were all kind of asleep, if you want to call it that, for many years ourselves. So we have to remember that for many years we, we fell for all the tricks and all the, uh, you know, deception. 
But um, it can be difficult for the likes of us to think the way the masses are thinking now, you know, mm-hmm. that everyone else is thinking. Because we can spot a symbol a mile off now. We can watch a, a Jay-Z video or a Lady Gaga video and see pyramids everywhere and bloody all-seeing eyes everywhere and satanic pentagrams and know exactly what's going on and why they're there. And it can be difficult to forget that uh, for people that don't have that level of awareness and consciousness yet, they don't know why these things are there and, you know, they don't spot them that easily. So we, we have to kind of be aware of that. And also, most of the people that I speak to on Facebook and people that I correspond with are uh, other people that have woken up, if we want to call it that, that have this conscious awareness. And we all talk about things from that perspective. And I think it pays every now and again to take a look at the mainstream news. I don't watch TV, but every now and again, it's good to just look at the news and read a newspaper or a magazine and just remind yourself of what everyone else is being asked to believe and all the lies that they're being fed just so that you can keep uh, a perspective on the way most of the population are thinking and that helps you to be able to address situations from an informed perspective i find but yeah you're absolutely right about the tipping point Uh, i think it's very close uh i think people are starting to spot all the lies in the news they're starting to spot these things that go into music videos they're starting to spot the fact that all the music kind of sounds the same and is all dealing with the same lyrical themes and you've got the same images cropping up time and time again in videos and music doesn't sound the way it used to mm. it doesn't it's all uh conveyor belt uh uniform uh garbage just just being churned out on a production line now and you can hear it. If you're a music lover, you can hear that in the majority of mainstream output, there's no organic creative element to it. There's no artists expressing themselves the way they uh, intuitively feel to. It's all being done according to uh, blueprints and formats uh, and templates. You know, who can't spot this now? Yeah, so you did a very interesting talk recently on the Illuminati in the music industry, Mark. And the term Illuminati is a funny one because a lot of people automatically lump it in with that dirty word conspiracy and conspiracy theory, using Indeed. inverted commas heavily there. And people, a lot of people switch off then as well because they think it's the realm of nut jobs. And yep. However, you've done a huge amount of research on this. I would say more research than certainly... The, 99.99% of conspiracy researchers have done. And you've managed to tie things together in a really interesting and a really accessible way for people to, I suppose, alert the newcomer to what might be going on so that they can examine it themselves. And for those of us who might know a little bit more about it or be a, a bit more au fait with what's going on, there's new information there as well. So what was it? Obviously, your background is music, and that was an area of huge interest for you. But what was it initially that kind of sparked things and made you think, well, something's not quite right here. When I switch on the TV and look at an MTV video or I listen to the lyrics of a song, specifically in hip-hop, because it's so blatantly obvious. You look at hip-hop from years gone by, and it was about a message, and it was about, I suppose, a social commentary in a lot of cases. Now you switch on a radio and you listen to hip-hop, and it's a bastardized version of that. It's a completely different animal. It's about swag and bling and money and, I suppose... (laughs) about the control system and worship of the control system. What was it that made you decide, right, music, this is, this is where it's going, I can see it, and now I'm going to talk about it. And how did you initially broach the subject? 
Well, you're absolutely right that it's possible to see it uh, so much in hip-hop. You know, that genre in particular has been so infiltrated now. And the contrast between the sort of stuff that passes for hip-hop these days... I don't even call myself a hip-hop DJ anymore because uh, the term has just become meaningless or the term has become associated with all these garbage puppet artists that have absolutely nothing to do with the original essence of hip-hop. But yeah, you can really see the contrast. 20 years ago... The 90s was, was the golden years. You know, you speak to any hip-hop head of a certain generation and they will tell you uh, the late 80s, early 90s, probably 88 to about 94, 95 were the absolute golden years in hip-hop. Classic material, uh, incredible production techniques, amazing artists coming through. If we go back 20 years, 1993, one of the biggest records out which was getting busted in clubs and was all over radio shows, was KRS-One's Sound of the Police. Yeah. That is a track with a message. It's got impact. It's got energy. Uh, he's coming with some real uh, lyrical potency there. One of the lines is, there can never really be justice on stolen land, talking about the United States of America. Where do you hear that sort of stuff now? For me, uh, I had a ball in the 90s, a great time. The 90s was my era. Uh, I was blissfully ignorant of all this stuff i was just loving being a dj loving the music loving being in clubs loving the party just having a great time but i think looking back we can see that things started to go wrong in hip-hop with the murders of tupac and notorious big so september 96 for tupac march 97 for biggie mm -hmm. uh everything changed then 1997 was a year of real change in in hip-hop you had uh the kind of bling culture and lyrics referring to champagne and gold chains and parties and all the rest of it coming in around about 1997. A lot of people say it was the influence of Puff Daddy who was given the agenda of changing the sort of stuff that was talked about in hip-hop through his records. Uh, and you had a lot of references to guns and, you know, violence and just negativity and slackness was all coming in as well. And really from 97 onwards, it's just degenerated. You know, you can point to any number of absolute evergreen classic hip-hop records from the 90s, but how many can you point to in the 2000s? You know, real classic hip-hop records. Yeah. Five, maybe? Ten? In, in the entire decade? And as the decade progressed, I came to begrudgingly acknowledge the fact that the true art form of hip-hop was lost. There were no records with any messages anymore. And by 2008, it was absolutely obvious, because in 2008, you had Little Wayne just starting to come through. You had artists like Flo Rider and Akon uh, with the auto-tune style of production. And, uh, you know, this was when Obama first came into office. Whether there's a connection there or not, I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. And from 08 onwards, uh, it's, it's just got worse. And then you had the likes of Nicki Minaj coming on board, and you got Two Chains, and you know all these artists now that are just talking about nothing, just talking absolute negativity. It's all rubbish. All the lyrics are the same. Most of them are absolute nonsense. You know, Nicki Minaj records, Big Sean records, talking about wobbledy, wobbledy, wobble, and arse, 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 go stupid, go stupid. These are lyrics that an entire generation are absorbing now. But quite course, literally, Mark, for, for anybody who mightn't be familiar with this music, those quite literally are the lyrics. They really are. You know, Big Sean's track is called Arse, and the hook line is arse, 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 arse. And... Um, you know, anyone that wants to look into it further, look up the lyrics. Just put in, you know, go into Google and look up the lyrics of these tracks and 
have a look at the sort of stuff that's being indoctrinated into people. I mean, the hook line, Go Stupid, Go Stupid, in the Little Wayne record and also a Big Sean record, would appear to be an instruction to the people listening to it. Because if you listen to this garbage, you will go stupid. But, uh, yeah, for, for somebody of my generation that's been around for a long time and remembers the golden years of the 90s, you can see how things have changed. But if you're 17, 18, 19, 20 years of age, and you're just starting to get into all this music, you're just starting to listen to the radio, you're just starting to go clubbing, it's the first time that you've been exposed to this culture laughingly referred to as hip-hop. Yeah. And so all these records that you're hearing, Nicki Minaj, Lil Wayne, all the rest of it, that is your perception of what hip-hop is. And the lyrics you're being exposed to uh, are your perception of what hip-hop talks about. And you have nothing to compare it to. And so what's happened is an entire generation of young people is being very successfully conditioned and programmed to accept a certain style of music and to have their perception of what's important in life dictated to them. You listen to these records and if you're a young person, your perception of what's important in life, if you look up to your idols, because these music artists are put on a pedestal as, as idols, is that... Uh, it's all about partying, drinking alcohol, uh, getting uh, wrecked, having promiscuous, unprotected sex with as many many people as possible, buying brands, going out and, and being materialistic and uh, shopping in the mall every weekend and spending money you don't have, racking up credit, uh, taking out overdrafts and not much else, really. You know, never mind being aware of what's going on in the world and uh, what life is all about, what consciousness is all about, what our reason for being here is as human beings. You know, none of that stuff is addressed in, in hip-hop. And you're completely right. And sometimes critics of what it is we're talking about will level the accusation, oh, well, it's just kids just having some fun, cut them some slack. But it's way beyond that. And I think that's where comparisons come in so if you look back say to the early 90s and the message behind music and not just hip-hop but i mean it has infiltrated pretty much everything and there's so much cross-genre stuff going on i mean my area is electronic dance music mm. and you'll hear the big artists and they're collaborating now with so many of the so-called hip-hop artists and exactly. it's just this giant smorgasbord of nonsense in a lot of cases and the real essence and the real the real music is gone for so many people, and it's not just a musical snobbery, it's an absolute fact. And that ties in then, of course, with the music videos, because the advent of MTV in the late 80s, early 90s was revolutionary, and people could see songs to the point where it becomes a lot of people's first port of call. I know so many of my peer group would have grown up watching MTV as opposed to listening to the radio, and that's a powerful, powerful medium, TV when it comes to implanting a message or further enhancing a message. And by God, the music industry have done that, haven't they? Yeah, you're right. Um, the blurring of genres happened a few years ago, uh, probably, again, about the same sort of period, I would suggest, 2007, 2008. I think it's clear to see that there was a, an agenda, a specific agenda within the music corporations, the record companies, round about that time to change the fabric of music. Mm -hmm. And um, what you've got now is an absolute blurring of, of the lines. As you say, you've got the likes of David Guetta and Kelvin Harris making records with Kelly Rowland of Destiny's Child and Akon and, and Tiny Temper and God knows who else. And um, the tempo of the records has changed, you know, uh, just because an artist happens to be black, like Chris Brown or Rihanna, uh, they're still considered R&B just on the basis of their skin colour. 
but you listen to the music they're making. It's not R&B. It's 130 BPM electronic dance music. Yep. And you've got uh, so-called house EDM DJs playing the same records as so-called R&B and hip-hop DJs. And when you look at it, there's only really 20 or 30 artists that are making records that people want to hear anymore. You know, when you're out DJing, I'm sure it's the same for you. You just get the same requests from people all night. They just want to hear all the stuff they've heard on MTV, and it's just Guetta, Rihanna, uh, you know, Beyonce, Kelvin Harris, Flo Rida, Pitbull, all, all the same sort of stuff. Which ones are, are, are dance music? Which ones are hip-hop music? You know, it's, it's deliberately been uh, all brought together in this kind of smorgasbord. And um, just going back to what you were saying about people's response being uh, oh well you know records are all about having fun and partying and you shouldn't get too serious with music yeah granted there's music for all occasions uh and you don't always want to get heavy and serious with with a message in music sometimes you just want party music you want a record that sounds great in a club but even these records are just so bloody vacuous now uh going back to the 90s you had the likes of naughty by nature they made party records. There was nothing serious in what they said. It was, just, you know, hip-hop hooray and OPP. But there were great party records. You could get down to them in the club and they had a, a hook and they sounded great and, you know, uh, nice and smooth, did, did the same sort of stuff. Uh, you don't get acts making music like that now. It's Pitbull. What the hell does he talk about? Flow rider, girls with fat asses, <laughs> champagne. You know, there's ways that you can do party records uh, with, with a bit of style. And that's not happening anymore. And another point to pick up on, uh, a lot of people, you know, this term, the Illuminati, is much misunderstood, I feel. Mm. And what didn't help was Dan Brown's book, Angels and Demons, which presented the Illuminati as this long-forgotten, archaic, uh, ancient secret society dating back to the, the 17th century. Yeah. There was a secret society known as the Bavarian Illuminati, which was formed in 1776, uh, the Rothschilds had a hand in that, as, the, as they have in most things. Um, but the Illuminati, when the likes of us use it, I would suggest, is used as a kind of catch-all term for uh, the control system, those that are pulling the strings and running the show from behind the scenes. You've got to call them something, and the Illuminati has just come to be adopted as a, a convenient uh, phrase for that. So it's not a specific uh, limited secret society. It's a general term for the control system. In reggae music, Rastafarians would refer to it as Babylon. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots of different identities for it. But what we're talking about is this group of uh, individuals working through secret societies in the shadows that we're not supposed to know about that are manipulating governments and corporations and educational establishments and the military and every aspect of life really every walk of life and the music industry and hollywood movies is just one aspect of a very large picture and of course like anything there's a kind of a pyramidical structure to the whole affair and you've the ground troops at the bottom and it works up and up. But I suppose at the pinnacle of that perceived pyramid, and I'm not naive enough to think that that's where things end, but with regard to music in the music industry, you've got the power couple of Jay-Z and Beyonce, of course. and Arranged us, marriage. Well, there you go. Tell us a little bit about those two. Well, I can't prove that it's an arranged marriage, but uh, it, it smacks to me of, of it being just that. You know, how convenient that... The, the world's largest R&B uh, singer just happened to hook up with the world's largest hip-hop MC. Uh, when you look at the sort of music that these two have put out since they hooked up, and when you look at the sort of stuff that's going into their videos, it's clear to see that there's an agenda going on. You've got the same sort of symbols cropping up in, in their respective videos. Uh, and then you've got a couple of instances this year where Beyonce 
uh, first of all performed at the US Super Bowl halftime show, yep. which is watched by millions and millions of people in the US on TV. It's an annual institution. So any act that goes on and performs at that show is guaranteed uh, uh, an energetic link up with the life energy of, of millions of people around the world because it works through TV just as it does in, in a, an arena. And um, she flashed up the, uh, the rock sign, so-called, this sort of uh, pyramidical uh, hand sign which goes back to ancient times, has been used by different cults and secret societies, the Church of Satan among them. And, uh, of course, we're told that it represents Jay-Z's Rockefeller label and it's the rock sign. It's supposed to be a diamond celebrating bling culture. And, of course, famously, Beyonce flashed up that sign just for a split second uh, during the U.S. Super Bowl show. And then a couple of weeks later at the Grammys, uh, the camera was panning through the, the crowd and all the celebrities that were in attendance there. And there was Beyonce. Uh, and this time she flashed up another hand signal, which was... Uh, the thing that you do with your thumb and your first finger to make what looks like a six, and yeah. it's supposed to be one one six of the six 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 mark of the beast um, type thing. Uh, so Beyonce is kind of working in tandem with what Jay Z is doing because he will do the the rock sign at all his concerts, and he will encourage all the concert attendees to do the same thing. And people don't realise what's going on. It's a trawling of, of energy, of life energy, because everything's made up of energy vibrating at different frequencies. Uh, this is the truth of, of our existence, of our universe. You're not taught this at school. You're not told this by colleges and universities. But so many people are coming to realise this now. Uh, the suppressed truth is that everything is made up of energy. And if you learn how it all works, you can control and manipulate energy and get it to work in your favor and get it to uh, empower whatever agenda it is you want to uh, manifest. And, you know, that can be used for positive, empowering means and it can be used for negative, malevolent means depending on the intent of the perpetrators as we touched on earlier. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, just getting back to Jay-Z and Beyonce, uh, to me, they're an absolute manipulated couple and... Um, I think what happens is they recruit these artists at the very start of their career. And in many cases, they kind of lay dormant, so to speak, for many years. So they'll put out music, but it seems fairly innocent, fairly straightforward. You know, the track is, it, it is what it is on face value. And there comes a point in their career where you get the impression, when you start studying this stuff for long enough, that uh, they've reached a point where they're required to step up and they're required to really start doing some work for the control system. You can see it with Jay-Z. You know, his first few albums were... I was the biggest Jay-Z fan. You know, I can't lie. When Jay-Z first came out, I thought he was great. I thought he was a incredibly talented MC. Yep. And it kind of broke my heart to have to acknowledge the fact that he was a man manipulated stooge, which he quite clearly is. But I had to come to terms with that. And... Um, when you look back to some of his more recent albums and singles, that's when all the dark stuff started to creep in, all the satanic stuff, all the symbolism. Uh, it wasn't there at the start, and then it, it came in. And the same thing with Beyonce, making records like Halo, which is actually about d demonic possession. Uh, you know, it's a far cry from Crazy in Love, which... I think was about being crazy in love. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. uh, another classic one is Kanye West, who I usually cite as an example in my talks because Kanye started out as a very promising artist his first album was uh, great stuff it was conscious lyricism it was uh, 
open-minded music that made you think and it was different and it was creative and they reached a point where Kanye just started putting out this dark nasty mind-controlling garbage listen to what Kanye's talking about now you know <laughs> that, that's what we get from Kanye West these days and um yeah there was a point where Kanye was required to come true on the contract that he quite clearly signed and he was obviously reminded of the fact that the industry owns his ass and he'd better start doing what he's now required to do otherwise there's going to be consequences as Michael Jackson found out and that's a very interesting point when you say about ownership of artists because this phrase that has cropped up time and time again with quite a number of big high-level mainstream artists from Bob Dylan right through to Katy Perry and so yeah. many in between it's this selling the soul to the devil what's yeah. your take on that Mark? Well, uh, people think it's uh, a metaphor. Selling your soul for the devil just means uh, signing a contract and it's quite a restrictive contract and, you know, you have to do what the record companies say. But I would suggest that there's a lot of literal truth to that. Uh, you mentioned a couple of artists there. You can look up, look up videos on YouTube of Bob Dylan and Katy Perry talking about just that. Uh, Katy Perry is being interviewed and she says that she wanted to be a gospel artist initially and she didn't make it. And so she signed with uh, the major corporations and she says her words sold her soul to the devil. And she appears to be making a joke of it. But if you look in her eyes, there appears to be a bit of regret there and a bit of truth in what she's actually saying. The other one is Bob Dylan, who's being interviewed uh, recently. And the interviewer says, what's the secret to your longevity? You know, you've been on top of your game for 50 years now. Yeah. And he says, I made a deal with the devil or words to that effect. And he looks a bit regretful of it as well. And um, there's no doubt about it when you look into it with an open mind, and it has to be with an open mind, if you've got a belief system to defend, if you're um, religious, if you're a Christian or a Muslim and you want to defend your beliefs, then you, you, you're not going to be approaching this with an open mind. If you've got political beliefs, uh, if you just want to carry on believing that the world is okay and everything is fine, you're not going to see it. You've got to be prepared to cross that line, think outside the box, and uh, embrace what you're seeing with your eyes. Uh, it's clear to see that there's some very dark, very occult stuff going on behind the scenes in the music industry. And artists, when they sign to these corporations, they're promised fame and fortune, uh, but there is a price to pay. And uh, because of the rituals that these record companies perform, and rituals can take the form of live stage shows they can take the form of music videos uh these artists are literally having their life energy trawled and zapped by the corporations and some would suggest that there's possession going on as well this is hinted at in loads of the imagery that you see in videos and um you've got to ask yourself is it worth it you know the basis on which a lot of hip-hop artists are recruited Jay-Z is a good example, Little Wayne would be a good example, 50 Cent is, you know, these guys come from the ghetto, they come from absolute poverty, they've sold drugs, you know, their lives are going nowhere, they're just living these hopeless, uh, negative lives. Uh, they've got talent, uh, the likes of Jay-Z have, have, have definitely got talent, uh, and then one day, the music industry comes knocking and says, we've recognized your talent, we think you could be a big star, we want you to come and sign with our corporation, uh, and you'll never be poor again. You can have fame, fortune, and riches beyond your wildest dreams. You can have fans, you can have girls, you can have parties, you can have yachts. Uh, 
you know, how attractive a proposition is that to you if you've come from nothing? Uh, but unfortunately, what I'm sure they don't tell you at the start is that there's going to be this terrible, heavy price to pay. Uh, and a lot of them, I would suggest, don't discover that until a few years into the game, and then it's too late to get out. So you get examples of some artists who obviously come to realise the terrible nature of the contract that they've signed. Uh, and there's stories of artists signing contracts in their own blood. I don't know if that's true or not, but you, you hear of it. They literally have to sign contracts in their own blood to, to make that uh, seal, that pact. Uh, but a few years down the line, a lot of them come to realise, oh my God, what have I done? It's just not worth it. Uh, one example of an artist that's tried to break free, uh, which is quite topical at the moment, is Lauren Hill. Yep. formerly of the Fugees. Uh, she's been in the news in the last couple of weeks uh, over this huge tax bill that she owes. N- $980,000, I think. Yeah, just under I, a million, I, I think, yeah. Yeah, I forget the exact figure. Yeah, just under a million, uh, which suggests that her earnings must be well into the millions to have a tax bill that is nearing a million. Mm. Uh, but uh, Lauren Hill famously tried to break away from the industry a few years ago. She brought out her only album in 1998, which was a great album, musically credible the miseducation of lauren hill then she pretty much disappeared off the radar and everyone was saying what's happened to lauren hill and you had all these stories start to emerge about oh she's racist she said this comment about if there was a black baby and a white baby uh, she'd rather let the white baby die and all this all this ridiculous stuff uh, and then you hear that she's got mental illness and she's struggling with alcoholism and drug addiction uh, then a few years ago she came out with a track a great uh, acoustic track which again you can get on youtube called I Get Out and it couldn't be any more blatant in the lyrics she's talking about breaking free of the industry uh, getting her life force back and becoming an individual again instead of uh, property of of the corporation which was Sony basically lots to say about Sony Mm. and then recently we've got this story about this massive tax bill uh, which may or may not be a stitch up And uh, we now hear that she's got to sign again with Sony. She's signed a new recording deal with Sony, the corporation that she's been so critical of and she's tried to break free from for so many years because it's her only way of repaying this tax bill. Uh, And then other artists uh, have tried to break from the shackles of the industry. DMX, uh, a few years ago, started hinting that... uh, he wanted to get out and you know it was all very restrictive and then you you hear stories of dmx being in and out of jail and being found with guns on him and weed on him and you know uh same thing with eminem uh eminem got a little bit critical of the industry a few years ago next thing you hear he's addicted to sleeping pills he's off the scene for many many years uh it's all evidence of the fact that once you sign with these corporations you're in for life and you have to do what they say do you think jay-z he's 43 years of age now do you think he wants to be making records about the same stuff that he's always talked about you know where's the dignity in a 43 year old man still boasting about how much money he earns and how many guns he's got and how many girls he gets in the party and how much champagne he can drink you know i would suggest that he's fulfilling an agenda uh he's fulfilling his commitment to uh the corporation, mm-hmm. and that's what they've all got to do. There is no way out. And this is the, the thing, Mark. Unless it's, it's the Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston way out. Exactly, because it seems, and I mean, go right back in time, none of these artists ever retire. Ever. Exactly, exactly. They just keep going unless they mysteriously die. So let's talk about Michael Jackson. 
Yeah, well, you're right about artists never retiring. Paul McCartney, you know, what is he, 70 now? Still making records. Uh, Bob Dylan, we mentioned, still making records. Mick Jagger, Rolling Stones, still making records. It's almost as if they can't retire. They just have to keep going until they drop. Rod Stewart, Elton John. Uh, David Bowie would still be making records if he hadn't had that heart attack a few years ago, although he's started making music again now. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jackson... Yeah, I mean, there's so many blogs and so many YouTube videos about what may have happened with Michael Jackson. But uh, it's pretty clear to me that Michael Jackson was got rid of by the industry. Uh, a few years ago, he started getting publicly critical of Sony in particular. Sony just keeps cropping up time and time again. Uh, he publicly referred to the former CEO of Sony Music, mm. Tommy Mottola, as a devil Tommy Mottola was the one-time husband of Mariah Carey, who was another Sony recording artist. And uh, once we get into the realms of MK Ultra mind control, which is a whole different subject in itself, uh, you hear claims that Mariah Carey, along with many other artists, was actually a victim of mind control. And you get handlers in mind control, who are the people that uh, provide the triggers to uh, set off these different dissociative identities that exist within the subject's mind. And there's a suggestion that Tommy Mottola was Mariah Carey's handler. And just anyway, to interject he- for, for a second, Mark, sorry to cut yeah. across you. For anybody listening out there who might think mind control, this is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, MK Ultra is now an acknowledged US military and government plan going back absolutely. decades and decades. This isn't the realm of, or those words again, conspiracy theory. Absolutely. This is openly accepted and acknowledged by the people who ran these programs yeah i mean there's conspiracy theory and there's conspiracy fact exactly it stops becoming a theory when you can actually back it up and when there is tangible evidence to support it and there have been so many whistleblowers and insiders over the years uh who have exposed the mk ultra mind control agenda it's very very real if you want to scoff at it and laugh it and reject it it's your choice but uh do it at your peril if, if you want to uh revel in in that ignorance then then go right ahead but you may find yourself reassessing your view of it uh in a few years time because uh there may be new evidence to suggest that it's absolutely real and it is but yeah to get back to michael jackson uh he was very critical of sony and there's this suggestion that just before he was due to do these this series of shows in london at wembley in 2009 uh he was planning to use it as some kind of platform to further expose the workings of the industry and further let people know what was really going on. And with Michael Jackson, it goes way back. You know, there's uh, evidence to suggest that he was a mind control victim himself from a very young age when he first started out with the Jackson 5. Uh, he's been compromised and uh, corrupted and utilised and abused by the industry all through his career. And the two cases of him being up in court on child abuse charges, apparent paedophilia, are, to my mind, absolute stitch-ups. If they weren't, why didn't he go to jail? You know, they were thrown out in the end. They were uh, methods of tarnishing his image in the eyes of the public because the industry had realised he was starting to become, become a bit dangerous, he was starting to become a bit unpredictable. The industry likes its artists where it can keep an eye on them. It likes them adhering to the agenda. It doesn't like mavericks. It doesn't like people speaking out and uh, articulating their own thoughts. And so Michael Jackson became a bit dangerous. And seemingly, when it became clear that he was going to use these London shows to further expose the true nature of the industry, he had to go. 
you know, who really buys the coincidence that just before he's going to do these shows, he just happened to OD on uh, pharmaceuticals. Conrad Murray is the classic fool guy, the classic patsy. You know, there's always someone that they put in the frame for these things, whether it's Lee Harvey Oswald or uh, James Holmes or, in the case of the Boston bombings, two of them, the two brothers. But there's always a fall guy, and Conrad Murray was the fall guy. Uh, and you can speak to any number of researchers that have really gone into this in a major way, and they will tell you that Michael Jackson was taken out. And we then get into the realms of uh, ritual and ritual sacrifice and... The idea, which I know will be incredible to many that are hearing this for the first time, but again, do a bit of research. Uh, once you've got over the initial shock of hearing it, if you go into the subject of the ritual sacrifice of artists by the music industry, uh, you will find there's a lot of validity to it. The music industry is very dark in nature. Uh, I'm talking about the mainstream industry now, not the industry as a whole, not every single label, every single artist, of course not. We're talking about the upper echelons of the US industry. And when it comes to Michael Jackson, there's evidence that he was taken out because it was convenient for them to do so. But when they decide to take an artist out, there's always a ritual uh, occult element to it. And that's what I believe happened. And it's very interesting because so many people would, as you mentioned, have seen Michael Jackson, of course, as Wacko Jacko and this yep. this this character who in his private life clowned around all the time. But in essence, that made things very, very easy when the end game came to take him out and nobody really batted an eyelid, you know, just another thing on the uh, the the tabloid reams of stuff about Michael Jackson and unusual death. Well, that's not so strange. What else would you expect from Michael Jackson? And that happens time and time again. Quite often there are hatchet jobs done on those who try to speak out or break free. I think DMX is a very good example who you mentioned earlier on. I mean, yeah. somebody who was absolutely huge in his field. I think seven consecutive Billboard number one albums, which I think had been unheard of. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden the media starts to portray him as this crazy guy. And he's brought up on all kinds of jumped up charges. And he starts to speak out publicly online about what's going on and then he's literally thrown in jail and yeah. uh, disappears you know and dave Chappelle in the, the the comedy side of things another guy who was portrayed as this lunatic when he refused to sign a new contract yeah uh, with, with whichever of the corporations he was with and said that he's gone back to africa and he's gone to live in the jungle mm. and all this kind of nonsense but anybody who actually listens to dave Chappelle speaking about his career trajectory and how he got to where he is now and why he decided to leave it all behind it's obvious that this is a very sane, rational guy who's just being portrayed in a particular way. And, of course, that's the power of the media. It really is. Uh, you know, DMX is completely irrelevant to, to this generation now. He's completely irrelevant in hip-hop, um, as is Ja Rule. You know, uh, Ja Rule, a few years ago, was the biggest name in hip-hop. Yeah. But uh, who, who's heard of Ja Rule now? If you're 18, 17, 18, 19 years of age, just getting into hip-hop, so-called... You know, you know all about Little Wayne and Drake and Nicki Minaj, but who the hell is DMX? You know, oh, he's just some old crusty old guy from the past. You know, he's, he's got no relevance now. When they decide that they've had enough of you or they don't want to support you anymore, you're gone. And, you know, they could do this to Jay-Z tomorrow. If they decide that Jay-Z has outlived his usefulness, he's gone. You know, he comes with all this arrogant kind of swagger now, but uh, it's only for today. And uh, it could all go tomorrow. They could get rid of Beyonce and Rihanna tomorrow if they chose to. You know, they chose to get rid of Whitney Houston. She was a massive artist in the 80s. 
And again, there was a, a job of demonising Whitney Houston in the eyes of the, the mainstream media. Mm. For years, you heard stories about, oh, drug abuse and Bobby Brown's taken her off the rails. It's his influence, you know, she's a crack addict and all the rest of it. Uh, the thing that struck me about Whitney Houston when she died in 2011 was there was loads of tribute mixes that came out. DJs always jump on a, an artist that's died straight away and do their tribute mixes. Yeah. And listening to these mixes, I came to realize that pretty much every single track that Whitney Houston ever put out, with maybe one or two exceptions, was about love, positivity, uh, harmony, just, just you know, positive, empowering stuff. Not all of it was my cup of tea, musically, but uh, the lyrical themes were all about love and positivity. And the industry doesn't like artists that talk about this sort of stuff. You know, John Lennon, in, in his latter years, spoke all about this consciousness. Uh, you know, he really took it to the next level with some amazing spiritual tracks and empowering tracks that a lot of them only are, are just starting to make sense now, 40 years on, because yeah. they're for these times. But John Lennon, gone, you know. Look at comedy. Bill Hicks, classic guy. Yeah. A lot of young people won't know who Bill Hicks is. Uh, if you want to know, go on YouTube. Look up his, his uh, Life is a Merry-Go-Round talk. It's incredible stuff. Uh, Bill Hicks died at the age of 32, uh, apparently from heart attack i think was was the cover story uh what's the common denominator in all these cases michael jackson i mean a lot of michael jackson's music was positive and empowering particularly his latter stuff yeah. uh not all his music was but in later years he was getting very conscious and you know very spiritual uh so michael jackson's gone john lennon's gone bill hicks is gone whitney houston's gone ask yourself if you think this is all conspiracy theory why are all the artists that come with uh important messages empowering messages uplifting messages why do they just happen to die and the likes of little wayne that tell you to go stupid go stupid go stupid and talk about uh, i'll beat that pussy up like emmett till another disgusting uh uh horrific uh just destructive lyrical references like that mm. are allowed to continue you know, Nicki Minaj, fine, fine. Uh, Michael Jackson, oh, no, no, we, we can't have that. He's got to go. You know, <laughs> it's plain to see. That and there's the list an goes on and on. We've spoken about uh, synchronicity, I suppose, above coincidence. And I'm not a, a believer in coincidences. I think things happen for reasons. And yeah. I mean, even to extend that list, you look at Bob Marley, you look at Tupac and Biggie Smalls, who you mentioned earlier on, Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, all these people who had a movement behind them or a message and they just disappear. They're just gone and fine. They're then venerated within the music industry once they're gone. But I mean, they can put whatever slant they want or whatever label they're signed to can put the, the posthumous slant on that. So it's, it's safe to, once they're out of the, out of the picture to, I suppose, laud them as the fine artists that they were. But, it leads on to a question mark, and it's something that I'm quite often asked. Do you think these artists are part of the control system? Do you think they know the game that's being played? Are, are they just unwitting pawns who are offered a lifestyle that's beyond their wildest dreams, so they sign on the dotted line, and it's only years later or when it's too late that they realise, hang on a minute, this isn't actually all it's cracked up to be? It's the latter, I'm sure. In, in almost all cases, I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, these artists are offered a glittering contract uh, fame, fortune and riches beyond their wildest dreams and uh, they're naive enough at that point not to realise that the true nature of the pact that they're making so why wouldn't you sign? You know, it seems like uh, all your birthdays have come at once 
uh, particularly for these poor um, hip-hop artists that come from, you know, a background of poverty, as I said. Yeah. I think it is only later, when it's too late, that they come to realise the, the true nature of what they've signed up for. And you hear people say, oh, Jay-Z's Illuminati, Kanye West's Illuminati. No, they're not. Come on now. Uh, they're pawns, puppets and stooges doing the work of the Illuminati. They're foot soldiers and they're expendable, as I said. Uh, it suits them to have them there one day. The day it doesn't suit them, they're gone. Uh, the Illuminati or the control system, whatever you want to call them, uh, let's not worry too much about the name, but let's just worry about the fact that there are um, individuals running all aspects, of our, all aspects of our daily lives behind the scenes that we're not supposed to know about, but clearly many of us now do. Uh, a place in those levels is only reserved for uh, a very limited number of individuals who, in most cases, come from a specific bloodline. We're talking interbreeding, bloodlines and families. Uh, if people want some examples, some names, the ones that keep coming up time and time again are the Rothschilds. If you've never heard of the Rothschilds, look into them. Don't go onto Wikipedia because Wikipedia is uh, mainstream owned look into some alternative uh, outlets, the true nature of the Rothschilds. It will curl your hair, trust me. Uh, then you've got the British royal family, big-time players, and actually all the royal families of uh, Europe, all the dynastic royal families of Europe going way back, they're all interrelated anyway. Uh, you know, the British royal family, the Queen, is genetically related to George Bush. Who knew this? But it's true. The genealogy is there. It's online. The research is available. Uh, it blows people's minds when they first hear this. And then another bloodline is the Rockefellers. Where have we heard that name before? Oh, yeah. Rockefeller. The name of Jay-Z's record label. There's another coincidence for you. Why did he name his record label Rockefeller Records? And so these artists uh, are, in my view, and in the view of a lot of researchers, uh, just stooges. They're not the Illuminati, they're puppets of the Illuminati. And many of them, I'm sure, come to greatly regret what they've done. Since I've started doing these podcasts and these talks, I've had so many people reaching out to me from different parts of the world, from all walks of life. And many of them, it, they can be in Brazil, they can be in New Zealand, in Korea, everywhere. They say to me, um, I wanted to make it as an artist back in the day, in the 90s or early noughties, and I was desperate for fame and fortune and success, and I couldn't understand why I wasn't getting signed when other artists were. And now I look back in retrospect, and the best thing that ever happened to me was not getting signed by one of these majors, because I realise now that if I'd got in, I would never have been able to get out. And I thank God or thank whatever that I was able to steer clear of that. Couldn't see it at the time. But what is apparently your worst nightmare becomes your greatest gift in uh, not hooking up with, with these corporations. And in retrospect and with the perspective, with the benefit of the perspective we now have on things, many people have come to realize that. Hindsight is a great thing, but perspective is an even greater thing because once you shift your perspective on anything, you can then mold, I suppose, your own your own mind and your own self and your own consciousness to suit what it is you want from life and what it is that you want from the journey that we're all on. And I, I really believe that. I mean, people talk about the power of intention and people talk about the power of attraction and all this kind of thing. But the big phrase for me is making your own look. It's something that I never understood for years and years and years. I mean, how can somebody make their own look? Look is, is something that's just out there in the ether and we can do nothing about it. But as time has gone on, I've realized that it's about 
being in a certain frame of mind or being prepared for what might come along because pretty much anything we want to come along in terms of opportunity, whether it's in a music career or whether it's in enlightening yourself or whether it's to do with family or whatever it might be, opportunities present themselves every day of the week. It's just that we have to be open to accepting and taking advantage of them. And quite often that doesn't mean opening our minds or our eyes or any part of our bodies it's about just having an attitude and an all-encompassing vibration I think and I think that's that's the key to it and for somebody who might be on a path say for example somebody does sign with a major label and they do have fame and fortune beyond their wildest means and suddenly they wake up and they realize right well I'm sick of fame I can't walk outside my door without being hassled or whatever fortune is nothing to me anymore because I have more money than I can ever do anything with what's left if you can't break free from that I mean that that's kind of life over and I think it's why we see so many artists attempt to rebel against what it is that's in essence enslaving them and they're always unsuccessful when they try and do it because they're castigated they're maligned they disappear and die in a lot of cases and I don't think that's something that most people when they look back on their lives would necessarily want for themselves it might be attractive in the short term or when people don't have money or that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, is that what life's about? Personally, I don't really think so. Yeah, it's a difficult one because I would never want to say to an aspiring music artist, whatever you do, don't sign a contract with a, a major corporation because, of course, that's anybody's aim when they want to make it big. You know, if you're a DJ, you want to play in the biggest clubs around the world. You don't just want to play little bars. Uh, so... Yeah, it is a difficult one, but then you see artists like, for example, Emily Sande, who's an artist that I really like. Um, she came out a, a few years ago, and her music was very different to all this uh, garbage, poisonous, toxic crap that we're hearing from, from everyone else. You know, it's proper song. She's a great singer-songwriter. Uh, but there was a video of hers that came out a few months ago for the song Clown. And if, if people go to the site vigilantcitizen.com, uh, the guy there uh, breaks down all the symbolism and all the imagery and videos and lets you know exactly what's going on on a sort of occult, symbolic uh, level and what's entering your subliminal mind without you even realising it. And in the, in the video to Clown, she's dressed up as a clown and there's all kinds of... Uh, there's a bit of mind control symbolism in there and it looks like she's basically just being degraded and humiliated and it's obvious she was made to, to dress up as a clown for this video and uh, it just seems to be a way of the industry once again on a subconscious level asserting the fact that it owns its artists and I'm sure Emily Sande when she signed didn't expect that this would be the case so you know the point to make is even with uh, supposedly uh, proper organic creative music such as she makes different to all the toxic shite uh, the manipulation is still there so it is a difficult one again so many of these musicians and music makers that have reached out to me from around the world have said uh, independent is is the only way just go the independent route you know uh, you you retain control over the sort of music you want to make uh, maybe you could start your own label or if you don't then you can hook up with an independent label that's not a part of a big conglomeration. And uh, that would seem to be the only way to retain some musical credibility and probably your sanity and freedom in life. And it's interesting because for the first time we are starting to see artists building big fan bases without having signed. And a lot of artists who actively refuse to sign to major labels, I mean, Immortal Technique, a very good example, Vinnie Paz, another one from the realm of hip-hop, these are big, big players globally, yet they have 
point blank refused to sign on the dotted line and have retained, I suppose, their own uh, their own internal and external credibility. And they're following their own path and their own truth, which I think is very important for anybody in this journey of life. Yeah, and much respect to those artists. You know, Immortal Technique, who I know you've got on this show. Uh, in the UK, you've got Loki. Uh, there's a guy in the States called Kay Reno. Uh, there's... Uh, Diesel Automatic in the States. Yep. Many, many artists that are going their own way and making some great music as a result. And much respect to them because they're keeping music alive. They're uh, doing what music is was always meant to do, which is uh, make a statement and uh, make some impact. And, uh, you know, it's music is a great opportunity to, to get people thinking about things. And it's just not utilized enough. But these artists are really doing their thing. So what of the future, Mark? What way do you see, as people start to cop onto what's going on and wake up a little bit, what way do you see the agenda being pushed or do you think people will start to turn away from it more and more? What's your outlook? Is it bright? Is it gloomy? What do you think? It is bright. Uh, I am optimistic about things and I remain positive uh, and you have to. If you've spotted all this stuff and if you accept that it's going on, uh, just saying we're all doomed, uh, it's all negative, they've got us, you know, uh, is not the answer. Hmm. What, what's, what's the point? What's the point in researching all this stuff if you're just going to roll over and die and give in? Uh, I remain optimistic because uh, I think it's very important that people do. Uh, on, on one level, I've got two young daughters and I'm not going to have them growing up getting into the kind of toxic filth that uh, young people are listening to now. Uh, I sound like my dad when I say that <laughs> or some evangelical preacher or something. But come on now, look at look at the stuff that young people are listening to. It's not good, is it? Um, and we then get into the whole area of the power of human consciousness. I know you alluded to this earlier. Yeah. Uh, Everything, as I mentioned earlier, is vibrational frequencies. And when you raise your personal consciousness, you access higher levels of frequencies that you weren't accessing before. And that's where synchronicity comes in, because you start to sync and vibe with uh, other people, situations, scenarios, events, places that you weren't before. And then you find all kinds of interesting things happening in your life. Certain people come into your life. Uh, you find yourself in certain places. And uh, it all seems to connect and it all seems to make sense. And it's this thing called synchronicity, which goes hand in hand with the personal uh, frequency at which you're vibrating and resonating. And so uh, if you've got large numbers of people who have made a conscious choice to... Uh, want to make things better and want to improve the situation and want a better deal for humanity and a better deal for uh, human consciousness, the collective power of all those people pooling their uh, higher frequencies is very, very powerful. And there's all kinds of evidence available from people that uh, can explain this thing much better than me to suggest that positive vibrations and positive thoughts and intent are millions of times more powerful than negative malevolent intent which is the basis on which music industry and human life is currently being run if a large enough number of people came together with that positive intent to change things for a better deal for everyone it could be overwritten overnight that's what we hear from so many 
researchers, authors, speakers, and I've got no doubt that that's the case. All we've got at the moment is not enough people accessing that higher consciousness, not enough people pooling their positive intent to make a difference. But at some point, it's going to happen. We're going to reach the tipping point, and I remain optimistic that that's going to happen very soon. The other thing is, at the end of talks and podcasts that I do, people often say, well, it's all very well acknowledging that there's all this dark stuff going on and the Illuminati are controlling the business, but what can we do about it? Well, one thing you can do on a practical level is just not support all this garbage, rubbish music that they're giving us. You know, discernment should be in the hands of the consumer. It should be the consumer dictating the sort of music they want to listen to. It shouldn't be corporations saying, here's a piece of crap from Little Wayne. He's the biggest thing in hip-hop right now. You must listen to this and you must uh, dance to this in the club. You know, I wish people would say, no, this record is garbage. This artist is garbage. It's not what I want to hear. He's talking about the same stuff that artists have been for the last 10 years. Uh, it's nothing new and I don't want it. I'm not having it. Take it back and come back when you've got something better. I just wish people would exercise a bit more discernment uh, because we can do this. We can reject these artists. We can say we don't want them. And... You know, all you got to do is just just not listen to it. If you don't like the sort of music that's coming out, if you recognise that it's all dark and it's all negative, don't listen to it. Don't watch the videos. Don't listen to it on the radio. Uh, you know, download an episode of Alchemy Radio or Red Eyes or something and listen to that in your car instead of uh, all the crap that comes out of your radio. You don't have to connect with it, and that's something that anyone can do. And that's it, and it does come down to personal responsibility. It's something I often talk about, and... Uh, the, the power of self, because at the end of the day, we are responsible for ourselves. And it's only by all of us taking individual responsibility that we can have a sea change in a macrocosmic level. So I think if people do exactly what it is that you've said and follow, not to get too esoteric on it, but to follow their own heart as opposed to, you know, left brain thinking. And here, here's what you got to do, because this is what's done. There is no room for should when it comes to the way we live our lives, there's only what we think is right ourselves. Nobody can tell us what it is that we should do. And that extends to the music we listen to also, in my opinion. It does. And uh, I think the control system, whatever you want to call them, they're getting uh, either sloppy or desperate or possibly both in what they're doing because it's so easy to see through what they're doing now. Uh, in the mainstream news, if you look, so look at something like the, the Boston Marathon bombings, you know, even people that aren't into conspiracy uh, or, or, you know, yep. whatever you want to call it, just regular people are starting to notice there's, there's something strange about it. It doesn't, it's not quite right. There's too many anomalies here. 9-11, classic example. I mean, who really supports the official cover version of 9-11? Really? They still make you. <laughs> You're still out there. Uh, you know, and everything. Sandy Hook, all these strange things. And then when it comes to music, uh, again, people that aren't into conspiracies as such, I think, are starting to notice that why are there pyramids everywhere? Why, why are all these artists covering their eye? Uh, why are there pentagrams everywhere? Why are they only talking about certain things in the lyrics? And there's going to come a point where people just get bored of it. Even if they're not taking any kind of moral stance against it, they're just going to get bored and think, oh, God, another record from Nicki Minaj and another record from Rihanna just talking about the same old shite, you know. Uh, and so I remain optimistic that uh, that will happen as well. People just get bored and say, oh, I don't want this, you know, I, I don't like this artist anymore. And they just won't be able to push the stuff the way they were able to previously. Yeah, well, I really admire what it is you're doing in the work 
that you are doing, Mark, to push out a positive message because it is about positivity and we can rise above any negativity and any low vibrational frequencies. So tell yeah. us about your podcast and the talks that you're doing in the YouTube videos because there's a lot going on for you now. You're really busy. Yeah, well, I'm quite new to the area of talks. Uh, doing public talks used to terrify me. Uh, but uh, I did one uh, last month, which went really well and has had an amazing response on YouTube. Uh, I think it's like 15,000 views last time I checked yep. and feedback from all over the world. And I think when you're dealing with a subject matter that uh, resonates with you and that you're interested in and, and that you know and you've got confidence in it, it's not a problem because you're just speaking from the heart and you, you know what you want to put across. And I didn't find that a problem at all. So I'm going to be doing lots more talks. You can see that one on YouTube. Uh, if you put in Mark Devlin Talk, Illuminati Music Industry, it will take you there. Or you can link to it on my website, markdevlin.co.uk. Uh, then the podcast series is called Good Vibrations. I'm up to 13 volumes on that uh, now. Uh, I think I've had many of the guests that you've had on Alchemy, actually. David Icke's been on there, Ian Crane, yeah. Lennon Honor, uh, many other people. Getting yourself on there soon, of course. And that, uh, it started out looking at what's going on in the music business, touching on a lot of the subjects we've spoken about today. But the intention was, after four or five volumes, having got people to say, OK, yeah, I can see that... Uh, things aren't quite right in the music business the intention then was to demonstrate how it fits in to the much much wider picture of life reality what's going on in the world how we're all being manipulated and it feeds into quite literally every area of daily life from uh education to science to uh corporations to uh mainstream news to uh hollywood films uh, absolutely everything you could think of. And so the intention has been to get people thinking outside the box and seeing how it all ties together. And that's an ongoing series that will continue now indefinitely. Well, I have to say I'm a big, big fan of it and I look forward to each installment as it comes. I think there's some very valuable information that you're releasing into, let's face it, a slightly more mainstream audience because what you have done in your career in music, as I suppose I have up to now is attract a certain type of listener and a certain audience and there is a crossover I'm certainly finding with this show between the music that I do and I would imagine you find the same do you? Yeah well it's mainly music heads that I've tended to draw in you know mm. people that know me from from what I do as a DJ and I've been able to get a lot of those people thinking about wider subjects but a lot of people have also found me through doing searches online and they've come across me for the first time through the sort of stuff that I'm doing now um, and I've not been able to locate anyone else in the UK that's speaking publicly about this stuff. And I don't believe it's because nobody else uh, believes in it or can see that it's going on. I would suggest that thousands of people and, and many other DJs and music people um, know exactly what's going on and, and have seen all this stuff. But they just don't want to speak out about it for fear of how it'll affect their career or, you know, what might happen to them. Uh, and for that reason, there's nobody else in the UK doing it. Uh, I'm happy to do it because I've come to understand that that's why I'm here. Uh, you know, not to get too esoteric again at this point, mm -hmm. but uh, I think everyone at some point in their lives comes to question, what am I doing here? Why, why am I in this world? What's my reason for being here? Yeah. We all do have a reason. And, it takes quite a long time to work out what that reason is sometimes. So uh, imagine my shock when in 2010 I came to understand that uh, 
why I'm here in this space and time and why I became a DJ and why I'm a music man is because I need to be here communicating this information at this time. Uh, that's what it is. Uh, in the US, of course, you've got the likes of Professor Griff, f- formerly a public enemy, talks about all this stuff. Lennon Honor, uh, there's Sonia Barrett, there's a guy called Mark Dice, uh, but nobody else in the UK. So I'm doing it. People can make of it what they will. Uh, some will doubtless dismiss me as a nutter. Uh, fine, that's your choice. Uh, many others hopefully will not. Well, Mark, the message is entirely positive and thank you so much for joining me on Alchemy. It's been an education and an absolute pleasure. I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Mark Devlin, thank you for joining me on Alchemy Radio. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Alchemy Radio. Alchemy Radio. Me, I'm 
taking it with track house. Get a trophy, wife and see John Terry celebrating in the background. See, I've been shouting, but they probably can't hear me. Guess it's time to make a move now, like Robin Van Piercey. I'm seeing two pikes hologram clearly. Even the spirit of Christopher Wallace stands near me. But there ain't nothing like the old school, it's so true. Plays a split while you're playing two pikes, old tunes. Forget it, crooks, motto. Shut up and just follow. I'm Oilers best, P.S. second guest on Alchemy Radio today is Immortal Technique, who is an American rapper and political activist. He was born in Peru and raised in Harlem, New York. Most of his lyrics focus on political issues. The views expressed in his lyrics are largely a mixture of commentary on issues such as politics, poverty, religion, social class and racism. He's been offered a deal with Sony Development Plan and Def Jam Records, but has never signed to any major label. Indeed, he has voiced a desire to keep control over his production and has stated in his music that record companies, not artists themselves, profit the most from mass production and marketing of music. The success of his decision to produce music independently can be measured by his strong and loyal fan base globally, as well as massive sales. So, Immortal Technique, it's a huge pleasure. Welcome to Alchemy Radio. How are you? I'm fine, brother. How are you doing? I'm really, really good, and I have to say I'm very excited about 2013. Lots uh, happening in the world and lots happening spiritually around us as well. But uh, tell us a little bit, for those who might be uninitiated, as we say, tell us a little bit about your background and how it is that you came to do what it is you do. Well, uh, I was born originally in Hospital Militar de Lima. Uh, it's in Peru, South America. I came to America, specifically to New York City, when I was very young, and I became immersed in hip-hop culture. Um, I definitely use a lot of my life experience in the music that I make, since I write, and I have to arrange all of it. And, you know, unlike a lot of other people, I don't use ghostwriters or things like that. And mm-hmm. For me, it's incredibly important that I put a lot of the personal pain and sacrifice of what I've experienced, what I've seen in my life in the music, because I think that it gives us uh, a narrative of humanity that isn't built around, you know, just some one-dimensional character in hip-hop now, which is, it's never really been. It's just that when a corporation got it, it wanted to turn hip-hop into, like, the new dance music or, 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 you know, freestyle extravaganza Mm -hmm. rather than accepting that it was a continuation of a blues and jazz art form. And unfortunately, you know, that, that reclaiming of our culture it's taking, you know, quite a bit of time, but I'm committed to it. The people that are unfamiliar with my music, uh, I'll tell you what. If you don't know who I am, please go to the Internet and steal all the music that I have. And if you like it, then you can support us at com. And if you don't, then, you know, you can just put a parachute on and jump off a bridge. <laughs> it's a good attitude to have, and it's something that's so rare. As somebody who is also immersed... Um, with my day job, so to speak, in the music industry, it really has been bastardized, and it's not so much about creativity as it should be. But you have, you're fighting the good fight, so to speak, Tech, because you're somebody who has remained independent despite your huge international popularity. You haven't, and I hesitate to use the term sold out, I'll use inverted commas there, because 
it's not necessarily that artists sell out, but they do lose a certain amount of in, um, a lot of credibility and integrity once the big labels get their claws in. So how easy or how difficult has it been for you to retain that integrity and to resist the potential advances of the industry, so to speak? Well, I, I think that, first of all, to blame the music industry for destroying somebody's career um, is a little disingenuous if we don't consider the personal responsibility that they took to either read the contract or not read the contract. Yeah. Or to be in a position where you make a decision based on on on, on financial struggle. You know, you don't want to do what you did. You don't want to sell away your rights that you did specifically because of that reason. You shouldn't be somewhere because you need to be. You should be somewhere because you want to be somewhere. And I think that when you talk about uh, the music industry, I think that artists forget their own power and their own ability sometimes. Because, unfortunately, you know, to be successful in the independent world, you need not just a, a, a mind for artistic creativity, but also a business mind, the ability to switch back and forth. And that costs a lot. It takes a lot out of an individual. You know, mm-hmm. People ask me, hey, you know, Technique, how come you only, only you know, put an album out every couple of years? And I say, man, I have to write it. I have to research it. I can't have a whole bunch of interns doing the, the, the legwork for me. I mean, I think that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, at some point, though, it, it comes and calls into question the validity of what the music industry represents if all of the things that people love it for can be achieved without it. You know, it's a subjective uh, entity. It needs us to exist. Without us, it doesn't. It's nothing. And without the, the artist being the, the workhorse uh, from Animal Farm, so to speak, uh, that's without us realizing the power that we have and the ability to change it, then it never will change. You know? It has no motivation to. There's, no, there's nothing that, that gives it the idea that it should change. In, in the music industry's mind, the only thing that's wrong with it is the fact that you know uh, people are stealing on the Internet. I remember, not to keep going on, but I remember we did a, a, a Latin rap conference in New York City once. And there were these executives from, uh, I forget what company. And they were sitting there railing on to kids, like, you know, how can you steal? You know, what makes you think it's okay to steal? And I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, yo, you people are the biggest thieves in the business. Yeah. You know, how is it that you can give someone a loan with terrible interest rates, which is what a record deal is, and then at the end of it, they don't get to keep the property? What kind of sham business are you running? If I take a loan from the bank and I buy a house with that loan, I get to keep the house once I pay you back. What happens when I get a loan from you to make a record and then I pay you back out of uh, uh, the, the small percent of the income and on top of that, you get to keep the intellectual property, i.e. the masters and the publishing? Mm-hmm. What part of being a thief have you not covered that you think I have? And it is truly amazing because so many people, when they hear of somebody signing a big deal and they, they think of the millions and the mansions and the yachts and all this kind of thing. Yeah, but it, but that's the, that, and that's the point when it's a million-dollar deal. They didn't just give you a million dollars with no strings attached. They budgeted a million dollars that they're going to spend specifically on you. Not exactly. to interrupt, but, but that's what they need to get. That even a half a million dollars may be allocated to press up, you know, 150 records, 150,000 records. And that's where they even get you. Because if I'm an independent and I'm getting my records pressed for 70 cents a unit, um, how are you a major label corporation that does a, a, a massive amount of influx in, in, in terms of 
the stock that you received from these pressing plants and you're charging your artists $3 a record to mm. press it up? You know, before you've even sold one unit, they've already robbed you of over a quarter million dollars in most, in most situations. So it's like, before you listen and you say, oh man, that's a, a million dollar deal they gave it. You say, no, that's the, you know, you have to look at the fine print and understand that it. it's not just about the huge number that they bought with you in, in the very beginning, but about what the actual terms of the contract are. And I think that's where people get the music industry very confused. They think that they, it can just make you a star. You know, in order to be a star, you don't just need talent. I know a lot of them seem that are very talented people, but they have no charisma. They don't know how to interact with the audience. Yeah. They don't have the temperament to be that. You know, to be a leader, people don't follow just skill. They follow courage. They follow conviction. You know, they, they follow truth. They follow, you know, an unwavering spirit of, 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 uh, of fighting and of justice. But they also follow people that are willing to admit when they're wrong and people that are willing to have the humility to accept that they're not the most important motherfucker in the world. There's not a lot of artists And it, it is really important because at the end of the day, why does anybody make music? It's a creative outlet. And in your case, um, be, because so much of it is lyrical based, there's a message behind it too. And I think the dumbing down, for want of a better term, of hip hop once it has been corporatized has been such a huge shame because you'll see so many really, really talented guys who once the industry has got their claws into them, they are completely diluted. They are devoid of message. And it's really just about shifting units and selling a brand as opposed to actually doing some good through the music. And I'm not saying everybody has to be on a high horse and has to have the high moral ground all the time. But I think the fundamentals of what it is that you do as an artist or that I do as an artist or anybody else, we all start off not necessarily to be famous or to be a star. We start off for the music's sake. And that's completely lost. And I'd like to ask you as somebody who has experience of this, why has that happened? How has it been allowed to happen? And are there nefarious, I suppose, people or groups at work to make this happen and to facilitate the system? <laughs> you know, I've, I've heard this theory repeated in, in, in the halls of government, in, in, in the small clubs of, of underground hip-hop uh, from one side of the world to the other. Is there some vast conspiracy to create you know, a dumbed-down version of hip-hop that isn't politically engaging mm-hmm. and has these horrible one-dimensional racial stereotypes. And let me tell you who the biggest supporter of this movement is. People who listen to music. People who buy that crap. Yeah, yeah. People who haven't learned to expand their minds beyond it. And the artists that don't challenge the status quo. I mean, you can look at it however you want to. You can think in your mind... Oh my God, you know, the way people hit me up every day, like, what do you think about Illuminati and secret societies and stuff? And I say, you know, we don't have to go to the hypothetical, you know? Yeah. You don't have to choose that option for me to address your concerns about what you're really asking. Are there people that sit behind closed doors and make decisions that affect your life without you having any say whatsoever in what it is? And you don't need to look for a secret society full of people who have wild, naked orgies and, and human sacrifice, you know, in order to find that, you'll find that in corporate offices around the world where they get together behind closed doors and don't take any consideration into what your health is. They take consideration into what the, 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 the bottom line is for their stockholders. That's it. If they're going to put a more unhealthy ingredient that saves them billions of dollars a year, their idea is not to say, hey, this is bad for people. It's going to cause cancer in 20 or 30 years. 
No, they say what's best for profit, not what's best for the human race. And that's the great failure of, you know, global capitalism as well. It's not about what's good for people. It's not about what's beneficial for the human race. It's what's beneficial for a digital salary that doesn't really exist. It's a video game for wealthy individuals who have a personality disorder. You know what I mean? If you have a room, a person who, who stockpiles like old comic books, you know, you think they're a freak. You yeah. know, you, yeah. you've got a lady that lives in a house with like 15 cats and dogs. You think she's insane. You've got a person that hoards money that they're never going to spend in a hundred lifetimes. You, you, you think that they're, they're a god. You know what I mean? That's what you think. And they're not. They're just a person who has a, a high score in a digital video game. You can't spend that money over the time. You're not going to. It doesn't exist, really, because if you took the physical aspect of that, there's not enough money in every single currency in the world to be able to print up what exists in a digital computerized world. Exactly. So I'm just saying the reality doesn't fit with what, you know, the, 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 the image they, they'd like to portray. That being said, music is just the same. The idea that all of these people that have signed to a major label are, are swimming in money, that they're getting, you know, $50,000 a show, they're, all, they're struggling just as well as everybody else. You know, if in a bad economy, people are, are going out to shows less, tours are making less money, you know, people are, are, are becoming less of a consumer base, and they're becoming more and more, you know, uh, 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 in touch with who an artist really is, and that whole, you know, Marie Antoinette, you know, you know, Louis the Sixteenth attitude towards you know the people who support your music is dying out slowly. You know, it still exists in, in the sycophant uh, 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 dimension of mainstream music where people will just support anything because it's popular, and that's the mob mentality that has ruled modern day Rome. But I think that when we step away from that, you can say to yourself, you know, has this, honest to God, made music better? Has this, in, in any way, shape, or form, ennobled anybody? And if the answer is no, then fine. Then we can put it in strictly an entertainment uh, classification. But then again, if that's the only thing that embodies that form of music, the entertainment classification, and then everything else is left out of it, then you have initiated the failure of the artistic soul of human beings. And you're directly responsible for that spiritual genocide. And I know it sounds like a, a very, very heavy charge that I'm leveling against those people. But if you take back and you look at it in the context of history, you'll find out that it's, it's a 100% uh, uh, necessary categorization for them to be the victim of. Well, I agree with you 100%. I think it's, um, in a nutshell, it's about the removal of humanity in favor of, as you say, a sick, sick game by psychopathic individuals or groups or entities. You know, and <laughs> well, I don't know if they're all psychopathic, but the problem is that there's, there's people who do good things with their money. I'm not saying that everyone who's a billionaire is an evil entity who, who's, you know, who really wants to bring slavery back. I'm yeah. just saying that the narrative that they've learned through the business world is, is a wrong one, that it, it has nothing to do with the betterment of humanity. It has to do with taking advantage of people who are ignorant. And I think that that's wrong. And, you know, people who don't, who not want to make money that way, then, you know, just realize that you're morally bankrupt. That's just, and if you go to heaven, then everyone's there. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. And I think that archetype actually mirrors what has happened throughout society and successive societies throughout history. And it's something that you touch on a lot in your music. Um, I think something that's extremely pertinent at the moment is the global situation with regard to, say, U.S. foreign policy. And we look at, say, for example, support of Israel in the light of the 
well, for me, what is the giant concentration camp existing in Gaza? And I know you've spoken out about that quite vocally. So what are your views, Tech, at the moment on not just U.S. foreign policy, but on the geopolitical situation that we have in the world going into 2013? It's a very, very heavy question. It is. Um, probably <laughs> not one that most artists are used to getting, but I relish that sort of, uh, that sort of communication. I think that you know, we're, we're at the crux of human development, where we're going to either confront these uh, civilized or savaged uh, myths that have existed, Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, you know, there's this idea that the industrial and disease-ridden European continent civilized the rest of the world. And realistically speaking, we're looking at civilization as the ability of one society to destroy and decimate and rip apart another civilization. That's what makes it more advanced in our eyes. And that's fundamentally barbaric. Mm-hmm. And until we confront that, we're not going to be able to evolve as a human race. Until we say to ourselves, no, you know, I'm sorry, the, the, the British were not more civilized when they decided to take uh, parts of Africa and the Middle East that didn't belong to them. They just had better killing machines. Does that make them better? You know, does that make them a superior human being? Is, does that to end the argument? Because if that ends the argument, then a gigantic 400-pound man should be able to walk into a university debate with uh, uh, one of the most honored professors at Oxford and he can make a, a perfectly rational case for whatever he wants to, and then the big three or four hundred pound man can punch him in the face and knock him unconscious and win the debate. Mm. That's essentially what you're saying with that. You're saying that all the advancements that we had in terms of keeping our environment unpolluted, you know what I mean? Yep. Let me repeat that. Keeping our environment, our world unpolluted. You know, maybe we died of a, 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 of a, of a simple group of diseases but we weren't killing each other in millions, millions over faith-based initiatives <laughs> that were running rampant in Europe at the time. Yeah. And I use that 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 with with just not to make light of those people that died, but of how ridiculous it is that you don't realize that that's what existed. And I think that when we step away from that and we say, okay, all these these technological advancements that you've got, you know, what good are they if they don't make you any more civilized? You know, have yeah. you cured racism? Have you cured jealousy? Have you cured, you know, uh, uh, anti-Semitism? Have you cured any of these things? Because if your only advancement in all these years is still being a warrior society, and now you think you're more advanced because of you have advanced weapons that can kill people from even farther, and communication systems that can cause you to invade a country farther and farther away from your own people, and then justify it by saying that you're protecting yourself based on what you think other people might do. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, that clairvoyance is amazing, amazingly hypocritical. Um, and then it, it also leads us to the conclusion that you have no idea what civilization really is about. And that you yourself are the barbarians that you accuse other people. And that, in essence, I suppose, is the, is the great riddle of our time. To me, personally, it's not a riddle at all because I can see exactly what it is going on. But for so many people who might not necessarily have kind of made the attempt to look at things from a, a broader perspective or who can't see the wood from the trees, I think it can be quite difficult for people. And when the mainstream media is constantly, constantly pushing in our faces their agenda and their propagandic notions, it's, it's a losing battle well, for so not, many it's people. It's not just the mainstream. I mean, I think the, the media really, I, I think, gets a lot of blame for doing things naturally that it, it, it is blamed for doing things specifically for mm-hmm. 
I have friends in the news media, major news media, independent news media. It's all the same. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. That's, that's the story that they always say. You know, the more fantastically uh, 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 disgusting the carnage is, the more people will tune in. We are a violent society. We fail to realize that. We fail to own that because we're scared and we're too cowardly to look at ourselves. We're more than willing to look at everybody else. You know what I mean? The, 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 the countries of, of Europe and of, of Scandinavia are more than willing to say, oh, my God, you know, the, 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 the people of East Africa, God, you, know, you live in a lawless society. So where did they get all those weapons from? Yeah. Oh, but yeah. you're not a barbarian because you gave them the weapons knowing that they were going to kill one another, but you have no, no responsibility to that. You know, let, let, me, let me say something for the listeners of Alchemy Radio. If there are two people that are listening to this together anywhere in the world, and you guys are having an argument, and I come in the empty room where you guys are arguing, and I give one of you a set of kitchen knives, and I say, hey, do what you have to do, and then I leave the room. I don't stop being morally responsible for what happens to the other person when I leave that room. I enable that. I made you a murderer, and I'm an accomplice in that murder. Anybody else, if you did that in a trial, uh, 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 on, on a level where it's one person and another that gives them the weapon, knowing what they're going to do with it, you're an accessory to murder, but not on a global scale, because you're too much of a coward to look at what you've become, to look at what you do to look at your role in all of this. America will love to have conversations until, un, un, until the sun is gone from day to day about gun control, about, you know, violent video games, and yet refuses, does not have the courage to look at the Republic and say, in the 200-some-odd years that we have existed, we've known two decades of peace. Every other time we've been at war. And yet that's not a factor on the table for how much of a violent society we are. We are a violent society. We love, we love organized violence. Big gladiatorial combat games, rugby, you know what I mean, uh, football, organized violence where people get hurt. Mm. We, we're not afraid of a drone strike hitting us. We, we don't, we're not afraid a drone strike's going to kill some innocent kid in Pakistan or Yemen because that's the organized violence that, that occurs in the world. That doesn't frighten us as people. What frightens us is or unorganized violence. That's why we're so scared of terrorism, because the quote-unquote wrong people are going to die. Yeah. Even though those people are complicit in every other part of it by donating to that government. But the problem is this, that if you believe that's the case, if you believe that they're complicit because of the, 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 the amount that they donate to their government, then isn't the entire human race guilty of that? And at what point can we step back from that and say, hey, man, you know what? I don't want to be a part of this continual cycle of destruction. What can I do as a human being to say to my government, this is wrong, you shouldn't do this? You know, and I salute everybody out there who does this in a non-conventional way. You know, not just by lobbying their government. You know, big shout out to everybody on the Internet who, who, who has you know, independent media, things like this. You know, mm-hmm. even the hackers that cause hell for the government. My hat's off to you motherfuckers, too, because somebody needs to tell them a little something about themselves that they're too arrogant to believe. They believe that they went to Iraq to bring civilization when civilization started. There. Let's go back to music for a little bit. What's, what's on the, in the pipeline for you in 2013? I know you've just completed uh, a, a pretty big tour of Europe that, by all accounts, went extremely right. well. Oh, man, it was wonderful. Um, every, pretty much every show was sold out. 
Uh, it was just incredible. I got a big response in, uh, in Belgium, in England, Scotland, and, and all of Ireland. Mm-hmm. I say all of Ireland because it's unfortunate that you still have people, you know, divided in the continent. You still have people that are ripped apart, so to speak, and they don't realize that, you know, the, the culture of an individual people is being demonized. And that's the best way to justify conquering individuals and taking by demonizing. You know, by saying that they're they're all a violent people. Uh, or they they permeated this. You know, but in reality, you'd have to be somewhere to have a fight with somebody. Yeah. You know, and if you're not there and you're not occupying half of their fucking country, then there would be no fight. It's so true, and it's such a pertinent thing, and it's it's something that I think, as a nation here in Ireland, and I think our as as a species around the world, the human race could reflect on that a lot more than we do, and maybe for one second divert our eyes from the distraction and the bread and circuses that are out there, because there is so much more going on, and I think if people can realise that, essentially we're the ones with the power, we're the ones who transfer power and willingly do it, and consent to our transfer of power from the many to the few, and I think if we start to take that back on a personal level and take some responsibility, well, that's how things can change, and that could be the catalyst for a much bigger change around the world. I, I really hope it is, you know. It, it was interesting. I was in Ireland, um, in Belfast, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And being the uh, uh, reckless, sometimes, uh, individual, or some would say brave, I, I, you can choose whichever one you want based upon the story. Uh, I decided to tell the people there that Chucky R. Law was not a terrorist phrase. I mean, it was not a terrorist slogan. And there were about, like, you know, five or six people that got very angry at that. And I told them, listen, if that's a terrorist slogan, then the Lord's Prayer is a terrorist slogan, because people have said that before they went to war and killed other individuals. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then Allah Wakbar is a terrorist slogan, even though the majority of Muslims despise and revile terrorism, even though they're portrayed in the media as if all of them are the face of terrorism. Mm-hmm. You know, if Anders Brevik... And, you know, the, 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 the people who started the slave trade are not the face of Christianity. And how come you have to make Saddam Hussein, who's not a real Muslim, and, you know, Osama bin Laden the face of, uh, of Islam? You know, I, I think that that's a major hypocrisy that, that we have to confront and deal with. And besides, you people live in Ireland now. You may have a, a British background. I know that a lot of your relatives paid in blood to be able to live there. But at the, at the bottom line is, just like white people that moved to Africa and had to accept the fact that, you know, I live in Africa now. Uh, we got this land because we stole it from other people a hundred years ago. But now we have to accept that the indigenous individuals who live here, you know, we have to respect their culture. We have to respect their society. It's the same thing in New Zealand. You know, there are a lot of people from Europe that moved to New Zealand. But when they saw the powerful warrior culture of the Maori people and, uh, and the other uh, uh, beautiful indigenous people that, that inhabit the, those lands, they said to themselves, Man, where do we come off telling them that they are uncivilized. Yeah. We came here to their country and we refused to leave. And, you know, I, I can't sit here and be an apologist, nor am I trying to be for the troubles or for what took place. I don't try to pass myself off as a military historian, but I do pass myself off quite effectively as somebody who's read history and why, because I have. And that doesn't require me to be a jack of all trades. It requires me to say that the British Empire took a lot of other people's lives and did whatever they wanted to do. And unfortunately, we see that not as a bad thing, but as a good thing. We think that they brought civilization there, 
when no one's ever brought civilization to anybody else by conquering and killing them and then rebuilding their society by installing a puppet regime, you know, who's modeled after the inbred fuckery of uh, Middle Age royal Europe. I mean, that's what we tried to invent in the Middle East, mm-hmm. a, a series of kingdoms whose military governors had to be removed. I mean, that's the unfortunate cause of the, the Arab Spring, you know, where you have a series of dictators who are left standing all because their mommy and daddy had deals signed with uh, England, France, and the other powers who won World War One, And everybody else who built their crown and blood has to go. You know, how is that in any way, shape, or form democratic? You know, I, I, I love posing questions like that. And I invited anybody when I left Ireland to say, hey, man, if you want to have a conversation or a real debate about that, then please, I'd love to come to the university here at Belfast next time and talk about that. I'd love to talk about how terrorism is the wrong answer to the right question. Obviously, the question is, you know, uh, uh, why am I in this predicament? Why are there more human be- Why are there human beings that are more equal than others? Why am I uh, feel like a second-class citizen in my own country? Why is it that I am a second-class citizen in my own country? Why don't I have the same rights as the people who colonized my own land? The wrong answer is to kill innocent civilians and to lash out in violence against random people. You know, if anything, that justifies their ability to come in and send more troops. You know, I, I, my hats off to the people like Bobby Sands, those, those individuals that use a hunger strike to show you and, and, and to cripple the uh, the ability of any imperial power to just subject people to whatever they want. You know, and 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 I'm a believer in that, and I'm a believer in the power of of not just revolution, but of nonviolent revolution. You know, yeah. I don't think that violence should be the end all be all solution to it. I think that that's the last, ultimate last absolutely final stage when you find yourself on the verge of being like I agree with that and I think to a large degree the people who would initially turn to violence at a very early stage to be honest they're playing the game that the uh, the masters or the powers that be want them to play because let's face it they're the guys who can play it a hell of a lot better they've got the technology they've got the military might to do that so it's it's uh, chicken feed to them essentially you know right and I mean, like I said, I'm a person that's very open to dialogue. And the beautiful thing was that that show, you know what I mean? There were, there were one or two angry people on the internet the next day. But look, dude, I wouldn't have been able to finish the show if people were angry at what I said. Yeah. You know, out of a crowd of 650 people, we ended the night with, you know, uh, 635 people, with 15 people being ejected, you know, 10 for starting a fight and then getting beat up by everybody else, <laughs> and then five people for being too drunk to actually participate in the festivities. So I, I think that the, the, the results came in successful for what I was trying to say, not trying to incite anything or to, 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 to give one side an excuse for killing and another, you know, to be held to an impossible standard, but to remind people of where they were and what they were doing. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I, if I moved to America and I didn't learn English, it would be like me learning math and refusing to add and subtract. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, or refusing to learn multiplication and division and only learning addition and subtraction. You know, I know something about this country because I live here now. Yeah. I, I think that the people who live in, in Ireland who are not from Ireland should learn a little something about that culture. You know, if you resent it so much, then just go back to where you came from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And unfortunately, there are people stopping the people who did live there from actually, you know, permeating their own culture and putting that pressure. 
And I think that that's a tragedy because we're not talking about uh, just singular events based on conflict. We're talking about an entire culture. We're talking about trying to demonize people. And Shakti our law just means our day will come. It doesn't mean, you know, one day we're going to rise up and kill all these people. Exactly. No, one day our day will come when you acknowledge that, that, our, that our people were disenfranchised, that you decided to redistrict everything and then have a vote about whether we should stay with, uh, with the U.K. or not. You know, because you knew what you were doing when you played politics. Because you were shamed in front of the entire world with your imperial policies in the late uh, 20th century. You know what I mean? It, you, you lived in a barbaric state, even though you claimed to be one of the most civilized empires that reformed itself to become a republic. And, and you know, I, I, unfortunately, without that dialogue, without that, that challenging of a myth, of a standard that, that has existed for too many years, we're never going to be able to defeat that. And you know what? If it takes some smug comments from the Internet or people or a bunch of pathetic threats from, from, from individuals who wouldn't last two rounds, that's fine. I'm willing to contend with that because you're, that means you're not brave enough to come debate real subjects, real politics. You know, the, the, the swinging of a club, that's a caveman's game. That's what you're telling me. You're telling me you're too stupid to argue about what the truth is. Know, and I'm more than willing to have that debate and a respectful debate, one where we don't sit here and rip each other apart on ad hominem and we stick to the facts of the case, mm. which I'm, I'm more than willing to do, and I would love to do the next time I return to Belshack with the people who support my position and even the individuals who are opposed to it. If we don't talk to our enemies, then how can we you know, realize that they're not our enemies at all? I agree, and I think it's something that uh, it's certainly food for thought, and I, I, I would I would like to see that happen. So we'll keep the fingers crossed and do whatever we can to facilitate there. Um, in terms of the future, tech, um, are we looking at a positive future in terms of, I suppose, humanity as a whole? Or are we looking at something negative? Or what's your outlook on things? I think we're on the brink of an age of enlightenment, and we just have the courage. We just have to have the courage to step forward and take that. We have the courage to accept that we are a flawed human race and that in accepting our flaws, we can correct them. And I really hope that happens because I think we're very close. I, I think we're coming so close to the edge of destruction and that's why we're so close to the edge of enlightenment because we realize that if we keep doing the same things that we're doing now, it will lead to the ruination of the planet and the self-destruction of the two. Interesting and exciting times indeed. I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Immortal Technique, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Alchemy Radio, <laughs> and I sincerely hope we can do this again at further length, because it's, uh, it's very refreshing to speak to somebody, particularly from the music industry, and somebody so ingrained in it, who has such a broad and honest and open mind and outlook on what's going on around us so it, it's, it's been a huge pleasure for me personally so thank you very much gracias Felipe respeto thank you brother much appreciated adios Alchemy Radio like anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. Go ahead. Go ahead.
So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Yeah. Like a prison with invisible bars No matter where you at, it always follows you where you are And it's hard out there for a pimp to get out of But it's harder for the hooker that he beat the shit out of I got niggas underground in the Confederate States Ironically running from slavery that prison creates So I never hate on the South, I respect their vision I just hate on niggas that promote Samboism And white execs that love to see us in that position They reflect the stereotypes of America's vision They want us dancing, cooning and hollering only respect us for playing sports and modeling More than racism, it's stay in your placism All people are trapped in practical black racism So fuck a civil war between the north and the south It's between field niggas and slaves that are stuck in the house Civil war for the soul of a nation This is a struggle to save civilization Demonstrations overthrowing the occupation The annihilation of mental colonization Civil war for the soul of a nation We for the future of our civilizations Destroy the corrupt government organizations Trying to survive cultural assassination Rip niggas, blood niggas, essays, Asians Why the fuck we born with each other's population? The devil wanna dead all our population People in folk nation Why the separation? Why we got Jamaicans hating on Haitians? When the British and French rape both nations Mexicans and blacks kill each other straight hating While the government probably from prison population If you on the bottom Be you Anglo or Asian You gotta recognize The realness in what I'm saying You gotta recognize Another G ain't the enemy When the police ride And kill us frequently We gotta make the UC Where the truth be If you a G Then grow and develop GD 50 years of gains And our people still poor If we really run the streets We should really end war Civil war for the soul of a nation This is a struggle to save civilization Demonstrations overthrowing the occupation The annihilation of mental colonization Civil war for the soul of a nation We fight for the future of our civilizations Destroy the corrupt government organizations Trying to survive cultural assassination Listen, our hearts were torn apart just like y'all was Watching towers full of souls fall to sawdust Every time we called you office, you ignored us, now you're holding hearings on us, all inside of Congress, microscopes on us, asking which are hardest, my answer was in line with all of the founding fathers, I think Patrick said it best, give me liberty or death, I shall never accept anything less, you claim innocence, you play victimless, but you gave the kiss of death in the name of self-defense, slavery and theft of other nations to the end of pacifying your citizenry with excess, we believe in freedom justice, but they're only pure when they're applied universally So certainly if I rage against the machine My aim was only to clean the germs out of the circuitry Urgently putting fear inside your heart Make you burn Qurans and tell me not to build a mosque Me, my wife and babies, we ain't never made your heart We just want to touch our heads to the floor and talk to God Ask him to remove every blemish from our heart The greatest threat of harm doesn't come from any bomb The moment 
government should refuse the human rights for just a few. What happens when that view includes you? Civil war. Alchemy Radio. Alchemy Radio. Analyze.